Happy New Year and welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. believe it, we are beginning our 10th year of this podcast in 2021. And this is the first episode of that new season. New this year, we're going to give you, our valued listeners, an opportunity to become a part of our inner circle that we're calling the Cause Crusaders. Cause Talk Radio is a listener-supported podcast, and we need your support to continue releasing great content each week. So for just $5 a month, you'll get access to episodes a full week early, the ability to view live streams of our guest recordings, and other special bonuses along the way. So be sure to head over to truestory.fm forward slash cause crusaders to get signed up today. That's truestory.fm forward slash cause crusaders. To kick us off for this first episode of our 10th season, I can't imagine a better guest than Dave Stangus. Dave is a CSR and ESG veteran, having led CSR at Campbell and Intel, and serving as an advisor for many organizations in the social impact space. He's co-author of 21st Century Corporate Citizenship and the Executive's Guide to 21st Century Corporate Citizenship, and just an all-around incredible guy that you're really going to enjoy hearing from. Dave shares his perspectives of how COVID has impacted social impact this past year and the trends he's seeing moving forward. So let's jump right into this conversation with Dave Stangus. Well, hello, Dave, and welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Thanks, Megan. It's great to be here to chat with you today. Absolutely. And I cannot believe I've known you for, I feel like I've probably known you for 10 years now at this point, and you've never been on the podcast, which seems like a giant oversight on my part. So I'm going to apologize and welcome you at the same time. Thanks. I was trying to remember how long we've known each other. And it's hard for me to remember where we first met, but it's definitely been at least a decade plus because it probably goes back to Intel days. And I was at Campbell for 12 years. So I think it's been quite oh, a Oh, maybe it was. Yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. Time time sure does fly. Well, I'm so pleased to have you here today. Tell us what you're doing now and what you're up to and what it's called and all that good stuff. Because like, like you said, you've been around the block in the CSR space for quite a while, but now you're kind of doing your own thing. Yeah, we have all creative ways of saying that we're old, but um, <laughs> I like around I like around the block. We're veteran. Totally did um, not mean that yeah, at all because I believe we're probably similar aged, but. <laughs> yeah, I left, I retired in air quotes, you know, from Campbell a little over a year ago. And um, it was a great team and had a lot of fun building the program over the years and it was the right time. I mean, the company had changed and the last three CEOs I was able to work with in short tenure, right? Between Denise leaving and Keith coming in as an interim CEO um, and Mark, who's the current CEO. It just, it worked out well for both them and me and my team. It really opened up some doors for those people to step up as well. Um, I've been doing consulting, or I would say it's probably closer to advising work Mm. over the last year. I set up a small um, LLC and I call it 21C Impact. And it really is about the rules of success in the 21st century for companies. But it's also, you know, ties back to the two books that I co-authored with Catherine Smith at the Center for Corporate Citizenship at Boston College. 
that were both titled 21st Century Corporate Citizenship, you know, one for practitioners. And you and I have worked on a couple different webinars and we classes have. for that book and one for executives. And one of the reasons, uh, you know, it's, a, it's tough to leave after spending so much time in corporate, large, public, Fortune 500 companies. You get, you get good at what you do over time because you get lots of practice. But I really wanted to multi- multiply my impact. I had been doing a lot of advising and conversations just pro bono. And I really wanted to try to help more companies and learn more things. And uh, it's been great for the year that I've been out. I probably have had maybe 10 to 12 different engagements, some very small, some longer term kind of retainer advising relationships, but they've been across all different sectors, energy and um, professional services, finance, biotech, insurance, um, food, obviously, from great big food system players to very small food startups. Um, I'm advising as a kind of formal advisor to three different startups in different sectors from you know, technology to packaging to um, a, a mix of PE and venture cap um, investments around the world. So it's, it's really been fun. And that's what I'm up to these days. And, but it's still good to see all of, my, all of my sustainability and social impact peers and stay in touch with them. Yeah, I'm sure. And I absolutely want to give a plug for your books because they are some of the best. There there have been a lot of kind of CSR, social impact books written. And typically I read them and I'm like, well, that was interesting with a few interesting examples. And I, you know, okay, that was a nice book. But your books are so meaty and they're they have so much depth to them. And the practitioner written book has so much practical advice in it and you don't typically find that. So thank you for writing them. I'm definitely going to link them in the show notes. And if you have not read Dave's books, you must, 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 because they, I feel like they are must reads for the social impact space. So um, you, you definitely, your timing has been interesting because like you said, you've been gone from Campbell for about a year and then this thing called a global pandemic hit. So I'm, I just, I'm so curious to know what are you seeing like what are some of the most interesting, inspiring, impactful things you've seen since COVID hit in the people that you're working with, or even just the people that you're talking to? Like you have so many colleagues in this industry. I'm just curious to know kind of your perspective on all this. Yeah, no, it's it, thanks, Megan. It's um, it was an interesting time. I, I didn't October or September isn't when I originally planned to leave. I wanted to go a little bit earlier so I could enjoy the summer, right, and not come out and have the weather start to get cold on me. But <laughs> then the pandemic, and um, I had just done a couple pieces of work. I was in. I spoke at um, Ohio State, and then I did a, a small engagement here with a large company in the finance sector. I went down to visit my son in Miami, um, and that's when all heck broke loose and I had to hop on a plane to get home and haven't been anywhere since then. But, you know, we've been engaged with a lot of companies there. I've been talking to them in groups and one-on-one and everything really stopped for a while. It really did come to a grinding halt as every company really didn't know what was going to happen. So everybody preserved their cash. They stopped all discretionary spending. Um, Some people, some friends and um, changed some businesses. But all of a sudden, you know, two or three months in, it started to loosen up again. Companies didn't pull back the reports. I didn't find a company that kind of redid their goals. They kept pushing and prodding. I know my team at Campbell continued to, to run with it. Um, my old friends at Intel did the same thing. And a lot of the companies, if you weren't in hospitality or travel or, you know, kind of frontline service, 
you really got smart and there was a big hiccup. There's no doubt about it. And some companies are still dealing with that. Some impact professionals are, but I've seen a new resilience come into people. And I think the one thing I've seen is that, you know, after the initial shock to the system, companies changed pretty rapidly. They, they mm-hmm. actually changed faster than some of them thought. And even nonprofits have pivoted. You know, I was just Absolutely. reviewing a, a friend of mine, um, Stephen Ritz from the Green Bronx Machine. You know, he's a uh, great. Oh, is he I'm, the guy with the hat? He's the guy with the cheese hat. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And um, he's great. So he's he's been a friend of Net Impact for years. Yeah. So I continue to talk to these groups and and they're doing great work. Net Impact has pivoted to a, a different model with a new CEO, Peter Lupoff. And um, I've been talking to Stephen and, you know, kind of reviewing some of his pitch decks and sponsorship decks, really some amazing work. He's got a documentary in the works. So these nonprofits have gotten smarter and they're really trying to figure out, you know, it's not just philanthropy anymore, as you know, I mean, this is your business, but the companies have gotten a little bit smarter too. And they don't, they want to do social impact. They want to find things that resonate with their brand and have a measurable, meaningful impact in society. So companies, I think are smarter. They're, they're moving in the right direction. But there's the the undercurrent is it has to be legitimate now. And it it's it can't just be what we've said all along is this window dressing piece, but they're pushing harder on it, you know. And the other thing that I think I've seen is this connection to all of my um DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion friends. They're back at work now, right? They've all they've all been hired, they're back at these companies, <laughs> and they're trying to be more strategic. And the CS yep. the CSR teams are being asked to make sure they're connecting with the affinity teams, the business resource networks and the Hallelujah. new right <laughs> and the new DEI people. And I mean my my you know my hope is that a lot of these things that um covid has caused for you know better or worse um stick, right? It's like the it's like the yes. tide, it's like the tide went out and all the things right under the surface were exposed and they're like oh my god, we have to deal with this stuff. And let's make let's just hope it it sticks. And there's lots of things um, we could continue to talk about. But I'm seeing some, you know, optimism, people moving forward and trying to make things much more strategic. Yeah, and I I love that you point that out. Sometimes it's hard because I'm sure you feel the same way. You, I, I kind of feel like I'm in a little bit of an echo chamber in terms of like preaching to the choir type of messaging because we're always talking about being more strategic and measurable and intentional. But the the reality is that most businesses are not doing this type of social impact work in a, in a particularly strategic way. So I think your point is that now more businesses, more businesses are understanding that they have to be more strategic and intentional and it can't be window dressing. I, I guess one of my questions for you too, and you kind of just made reference to this um, and you may not have the answer, but... I'm just wondering if it's going to stick around. Like, because for, for a long time, I felt like you couldn't say anything. You could not advertise or market anything unless it was like, we're giving away money to food banks or your purchase gives, you know, a face mask to somebody in need. Like, you couldn't even market unless it had a social impact piece, which I think was great because it dragged a bunch of companies in that hadn't dipped their toe in yet. But I just wonder, is that going to stick around after this is all gone? Or are, are, is it going to be the next passing fad? Sort of, sort of well, thing? I think one of the things I think, um, one of the things I believe that will happen, and I've had a couple conversations about this, is I, I believe there's going to be a little bit of a fork in the road. I think that some of the companies are really u- using this time to learn. Like, you know, 
this is a tough time for us as a company, our people. What we, we don't want to go through this again. How can we build resilience in everything, including our work in the community, our work in social impact? You know, all of the stuff that got cut, not all of it's coming back, right? So they're being very, very prudent about is this really a benefit to the business? And is it also a benefit to our our consumers, our customers, our communities versus, you know, we cut everything, now we bring everything back. There's another, I fear, another set of companies that are so focused on uh, surviving and they really haven't seen the full strategic piece that I do think that they're, you know, they're going to say a lot of the stuff they cut, they're going to be asking themselves, why were we doing it anyway, right? If we, if we don't need it during a pandemic, why do we need it? Right. So, and I'm seeing it happen in, in a few places. So I think there's going to be leaders are going to, the, the gap between leaders and kind of laggards or people that are just doing the basic corporate citizen, you know, be a good corporate citizen stuff is going to be further apart. And, but what I am seeing among the leaders is a real desire to differentiate, to up level, you know, the, the capabilities of their team. And they're factoring in, you know, some of these terms that we've always, you know, again, speaking to the choir, the echo chamber, ESG or, or human capital, they're hearing them and they're trying to figure out, all right, now I'm hearing them from investors now. I'm hearing them in the street. I'm seeing them in the news every day. What does it really mean for our company? Instead of just this term, what does it actually mean? And, and what's it worth to my people? Um, so I think some of this will stick. I, I do worry about, um, watching the diversity, equity, and inclusion space for so many years. Yeah. I do worry about when they're, I, although I think employees are going to carry the torch on this one. I think employees- I totally agree with that. Yeah. That is what I totally agree with. That's not going to go away because it, it they it, they won't be permitted to walk away from it because employees are going to carry the torch. I agree with that. I agree. They're going to hold, the, employees are going to hold the company's feet to the fire. Which it, is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, we saw it coming at Intel or at Campbell. It happened to us, you know, several times where employees were, you know, we were meeting with groups of employees on social issues and um, managing, how do we respond? You know, how do we manage this from a communications and a reputation standpoint? Um, and that's going to, that's just continued to grow and it's not going away anymore. Hey everyone, I want to take just a moment to first thank you for your support of Cause Talk Radio. Without you, our listeners, we would not have made it 10 years. Cause Talk Radio is a listener-supported podcast and we need your support to continue releasing great content each week. I'm excited to share a brand new opportunity to become a part of our inner circle that we're calling the Cause Crusaders. For just $5 a month, you'll get access to episodes a full week early in your own personal podcast feed, the ability to view live streams of our guest recordings, and other special bonuses along the way. For example, I'll be selecting one new Inner Circle member to receive a signed copy of 21st Century Citizenship written by our guest today, Dave Stangus. Trust me when I tell you this is a must read. So be sure to head over to truestory.fm forward slash cause crusaders to get signed up today. That's truestory.fm forward slash cause crusaders. Talk a little bit more about that racial justice, racial equity piece, just from your perspective. Like, 
What are the things that need to happen? What are some of the things that are happening that you think are encouraging? I mean, you talked earlier about kind of that convergence of the CSR department and the DE&I and the HR, which all absolutely needs to happen. But what else are you seeing? What else should companies be thinking about as they're kind of walking this journey? And are you seeing anybody make mistakes that you're like, oh, yeah, here's a pothole. You really avoid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure not- nobody's <laughs> making any mistakes right now, but you know. Yeah, I'm not going to call out any companies making mistakes, but they're I'm being not made. asking you. Yeah, I no, am no, not no. asking you to do that. <laughs> they're, they're being made, I think, and um, and I would make them too, right? I mean, I think it is a learning process, right? So it's I such just, a risky learning process, though. Like people have zero tolerance for any mistakes in, right now. There's a lot of that cancel culture thing. I think is huge right now. No, and it's true, and you see it happen every single day to somebody or some brand, oh, yeah. right, online. And I think you know part of the there's this learning curve. I just posted something yesterday about, you know, the value, I think it was in ad age, but the value that a brand actually gets when a CEO is good in social media, not but when they're, you know, when they're active and they're good, it it lends a, you know, a lens of authenticity and trust and makes them human as a person, but there's a ton of risk. And I think that I've seen some companies and some CEOs talk about this and, and a few of them have been doing a good job where they're, they're trying to stay in the lane, right? The, the, the temptation, at least among employees, is to have their company comment on everything, every social issue, every piece of maybe legislation or movement. And that is a risk. I think the company have, has to think about this from a strategic play. You know, what at Campbell, obviously, it might have been around food or packaging or energy. If we were investing in renewable energy, we'd go in publicly and state this. And we would still get picked at from the other side and sometimes, you know, attacked. Um, we were promoting, you know, broad, diverse family styles that are just the norm these days. But when we first started to do it, the, the brand got attacked for it. But over time, it, but it was, it was important to our business. It was important to our consumers. It was important to our broad community. You could see, you know, Nike made this clear decision to double down in this social equity space, what, a year or two ago now, because they knew that's where their customer base was. So being focused on, you know, where it matches your business and where it matches your consumer or customer base is really important. It's really difficult to just kind of get dragged in, put your company name on a list like here's another list of 180 companies, you know, that are endorsing this yeah. or endorsing that. Yeah. Because, you know, it, and it depends on your company. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, a renewable energy company has got a cleaner slate than a, you know, a global food company that's in 97% of the households in the U.S. Right? Because the company's the country's 50-50. So you know, yeah. you have to be careful. <laughs> what do you counsel executives if you are going to? draw a line in the sand. Like if you are, I mean, maybe not a quite a Nike move, but I feel like so many times companies go out and they want to make a statement and then they freak out if somebody says something negative on social media. Like how do you counsel CEOs that that's going to happen and you have to be prepared for it? Yeah. I mean, this is, this goes back even to Intel days, walking some of the issues that we dealt with there. And I would say the one cardinal rule, um, that I have always advised companies on is to to advocate, to lobby, to educate, to, you know, to take a position on what you are for, not what you're against. It's much easier to, to defend, you know, being for a cleaner environment, you know, renewable energy versus I'm against some bill 
or I'm against some movement um, because it gives you room. It actually gives you room to communicate. You're focused on the positive. You may, you may disagree about how to get there. But if you're focused on this is what we want to do, this, and we believe in you know, the goal of that piece of legislation, or we be, believe in the goal of that movement, but we disagree with how to get from you know, A to Z, Th- that allows you to have an education conversation. It allows you to listen. It starts in a place of mutual gains. It's, um, it's just a completely different place if you're advocating for what you're for and you're talking about the goal, not the, not the step, right? I mean, you're I leveling think, up. You're leveling yeah, up and I mean, you're not necessarily you talking the, about tactics. Pick the election as an example, right? There were companies that were for, um, you know, getting as many people as possible to vote, no matter how, oh, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a positive thing. It's very difficult to kind of assail that position. You can, if they, if they weighed in on, you know, everybody needs to vote in person or everybody needs to mail right. in ballot, all of a yep. sudden they're attacked. But having people engaged in the civic process, this, so there's things that the census was another one, right? I mean, I saw companies taking positions on, hey, it, it's just the right thing to do to count everybody. Mm-hmm. Not telling you how or the dates or anything. So there are there are safer paths to go through this. Do you feel like that gets watered down though if you take the safe path every time? I think it's if if you if you describe it as the safe path, yes. But what what I would say is um, you know, my conversation with a, a lawyer or a head of communications is a different conversation than one with the CEO, right? So the, <laughs> yeah. the lawyer and the head of comms, the first questions they should ask, right? Because that's what they're paid to do. And that's what they're incentivized to do is, you know, what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. They get your answer, right? Somebody's going to chime up on social media, then why do it at all? Right? So the answer yeah. is always no. So talking about the safest path to take positions with those audiences are important, but talking about what we stand for. Um, CEOs and leadership teams and board of directors want to be for something. They mm-hmm. actually don't like being against things. So it's just an interesting way to think about it. I know now we're off in a whole different topic of where no, no, it's, I think it's interesting. But I think it's it's a it's a it's risky. Um, it's not for every CEO, right? I mean, I've right. seen CEOs. Totally great point. Just, and it, it's not a great idea to have your comms function manage this for you entirely either, right? Because you need mm. a personality. That's interesting that you say that because I do feel like comms does manage it in a lot of places. Not everywhere. I mean, that's one of the frustrating things for me about Backspace is like this stuff lives all over the place. Like it can live in brand management. It can live in community affairs. It can live in comms. It can live in CSR department. Like it just is all over the place. Well, I think the corporate narrative sits in comms. There's no doubt about that or marketing. But if it's it's a person, if it's a, you know, um, either an expert in the company or the CEO, People see through that. They can tell if it's a communication written. Oh, you know, 100%. Versus a yeah, key, me- key message. Know. Right. <laughs> and I think on the social unrest piece, that's where you saw mistakes being made. Companies were coming out with ones that anybody could read. Well, that's just a communication statement. That's not what the CEO believes, right? There's a difference between we stand for this and I believe in this. And that's where I saw some companies making mistakes early on. All right, I want to ask you this since I have you, but did you see anything fall by the wayside in 2020 from a social impact perspective that you don't think should should have? Or, I mean, you know, whatever, 2020 was a dumpster fire all around. So hindsight's 2020. But <laughs> anything that you saw that you were like, oh, this is really bad for X? 
Well, I think there were some things early on that I saw, but I think people started to pick up, companies started to pick up that slack, right? And there was a lot of like, how do you actually care for people, right? Health, safety, trust, connection. And the one thing I think, and I don't have evidence to, um, to prove it or to, you know, give examples, but the one thing I think that probably did suffer, and I'm just going back to thinking of my day to day experiences with my teams, even if I'm on a Zoom meeting, there's so much coaching and listening and learning that comes through face-to-face conversation. <clears throat> just It's not performance management. It's just kind of the, the, the normal human feedback loop. All of the, un, you know, the non-spoken, um, non-verbal communication things that happen. And I think once people get back to the office, I know my people, my friends at Campbell and Intel, they haven't been back in months and they may not go back for several more months. Um, the tech companies aren't going back until June or July of next year. Yeah, you know, know we haven't crazy. had a conference, as you guys know. And I think, <laughs> I think the one thing that we're going to realize is that, you know, we basically missed a whole year of kind of personal development and team development mm-hmm. um, that you, I just don't think you can get in Zoom meetings. I just read a fascinating article. I think it was the New York Times and I'll link it in the show notes about how we're all kind of socially awkward now because we're out of practice about being in touch. And I had an experience the other day with a one of my best girlfriends in the world and I brought her a Christmas gift and I was going to just talk to her, um, you know, on her front porch and I had a mask on and all this stuff. She had me come in because her dog was going nuts and it was so awkward we just stood there like 10 feet apart it was the worst and i was like oh this is like one of my best friends this is so horrible so yeah. i mean just think it's i think you're right i think it's i think we're it still feels that. better i i think it still feels better um 10 feet apart face to face than it does you know i was on one of these virtual happy hours last night with friends yeah. that i've known for years but the conversation stalls at times, right? And 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 Zoom. And you're like, uh, awkward makes, pause. But that doesn't happen when you're one on one with somebody, um, because there's always something to ask about. You're talking about their kids or something, and you're reading nonverbals that you just can't pick up. I don't think. Um, so I do think we're gonna we're gonna see some of that when we get back. Um, young yeah. people need to be in the office. It is their social network, right? Mm. I mean, you and I, we have families at home and, you know, we can walk around our neighborhoods, but that's not the case for everybody. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball and tell us some of your predictions for 2021 mm-hmm. from the social impact. Yeah, I think it, there's a couple I think that are coming. Number one is this concept of, and you know, I, I'm, I'm simplifying it in words, but it's a pretty important thing that I'm seeing, and it's the concept of people and how important the actual people were mm. in all this work that we were doing, sustainability, social impact, corporate social responsibility, um, and now human capital, right? And, and actually valuing this and not just the health and safety, which was always there, but again, it was under the, the radar, under the waterline, but how important health and safety is to mm. getting back to work. Um, you know, for people, I, I trust going back to the store. I trust going in my friend's yeah. house, right? I mean, yeah. and I don't think that's going away. I mean, the, the you know, the stuff with the human capital framework going and SASB looking for comments on integrating human capital. I think this stuff is here to stick. I don't like the term human and capital together, but yeah, it's weird. But people and, and thinking in more strategically long-term diversity and inclusion, social impact, that the people system that keeps all this together... I think mm-hmm. is getting a lot more light and that's going to continue. Um, 
I still see companies, investors, boards of directors, you know, scrambling around to try to catch up with ESG. They still don't know what it is. They, they you know, so, which is good for, you know, for somebody that's been pushing it for decades now. Yeah. But I do think some companies are getting more and more strategic about it. And, you know, the other thing that I've, I've seen, and I, I know it's not a new trend, but in addition to some of the talent shifts like mine and many of my kind of peers that are at the same tenure, there's, a, there's an unlock of new um, leadership talent coming in, right, to run these functions in these big companies. And they're, to be honest, they're more tuned in to social impact. They're just thinking more about it. They, they, yeah. were, they came into the profession in a different way. And every small nonprofit that I've spoken to, I mean, I, I can't even keep track. Every single one of them this year has a, a social mission or a sustainable mission. Every single one, whether it's, you know, a small tech startup, you know, a, a CPG startup. I think that the, I think the tide has finally shifted on companies, you know, coming, being born. They're leveraging all of this to be better companies. So I think we've turned as bad as the pandemic's been. I think it's really kind of snapped, woken up um, the role of social impact and sustainability in business, even though we've been talking about it for 20 years. Yeah. The great awakening. I hope so. I think so. Hopefully we're not, hopefully we're not in the echo chamber on this one. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Well, all of our listeners are with us at least. And so we're not in the echo chamber alone. So they Dave, can, thank they you can so, help so much. This has yeah. been an absolute delight and pleasure as I knew it would be. Where can people find you online if they'd like to do that? The easiest place to catch me online is either Twitter or LinkedIn. And both of them are very simple. It's just Dave Stangus in both places. Um, in the URL. I try to share as much as I can on what I'm seeing in the profession and kind of leading signals on Twitter. And on LinkedIn, I share a lot of job postings that I can find. I'm really trying to help people. There's so many people looking to transition or move that I, I try to share a lot of job postings over there. And you share a ton. I actually have talked to many career transitioners and I always say, are you following Dave Stangus? Because he posts the greatest jobs. I don't know where, like what your repository of jobs are, but you've got a lot. I spend some time. I try to invest some time in the future of the profession. And so I spend a few you know, minutes a day or an hour on a weekend and try to find jobs to post for people. Well, we all appreciate it. Well, thanks again, Dave. It was fantastic to have you here. I'll post all of that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. And on behalf of Dave and myself, we'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Thanks, Megan. But I'm Love